my footsteps from God to depart. Jesus has found me happy, my case I now am a sinner saved by grace.
good to have you all here. We're going to be starting a new series tonight, so we'll jump into that in just a moment. So just to let you know a few things that you can pray about at the end. Uh, Miss Vicki is, I was waiting to see if I heard back from her. Uh, she went in today to find out about her cancer. Uh, it is stage two. They found that out, but they're going to decide today what they're going to do about it. And uh, she was waiting to hear back from that. So hopefully they can go in, surgically do a lumpectomy. This is what we're praying for. It would be a lumpectomy. And that's it. Maybe uh, maybe a, a round of radiation while they're in there and be done. Um, worst case scenario is and what, what, what they're really waiting on is they're doing a genetic test. If she is genetically predisposed to cancer, then they will treat it more aggressively. Okay. So if, in other words, if they see something that would make it make them think that the cancer would come back, uh, and, you know. So they've already I think done the lymph nodes. They didn't find anything there. So. Um, so is that right? Am I saying that all right? So anyway, uh, so just uh, pray for her. Then um, Joy mentioned uh, one of your professors down at Pensacola, Pate, Miss uh, Mrs. Pate or something. Yeah, and she tested me and said that they found out it wasn't bone cancer. It's not bone cancer. She has some kind of uh, spots on her brain that they found, and they were suspecting bone cancer. So just I was talking to. You know, one of my friends from Pensacola down there, and uh, Dr. Atkins, and he is. Um, he said that they've had more students and students die this year than in the previous ten years. Not that they died because of the school, but you know, just whatever reason, they got sick. You know, th- things happened. Got cancers. One of them. Remember a couple of weeks ago, one of them, a drunk driver actually drove onto the campus and killed one of them, and uh, you know, just uh, just all kinds of wasn't onto the campus actually, but onto the one of the teachers' housing uh, that they had. So uh, anyway, just they've had a lot of issues. So it's been a rough year for them, so I'm sure that that can be repeated for every school around. It's not just them, but, you know, pray for those things. And, of course, Chuck and Robert and others that we got going, Ed. Uh, Megan's gotten a wreck on her way home. Is she okay? She's, yeah, well, you know, she's pretty emotional. Yeah. The, the bad thing is the car is Okay, so Megan was in a wreck today, and and uh, Joey's car is in the shop. So we have a beautiful truck. Must <laughs> welcome to drive around. I mean, I'd I'd put on sunglasses and wear a hat, and maybe nobody recognize you. But then <laughs> the hood the hood came up came up, and so we've got the hood. You you've seen it. It's all I mean. Uh, the hood's ratcheted down and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's an interesting thing, but it drives fine, so uh, it just doesn't always look as good as you might want to look when you're driving a car. But anyway, so anyway, we're going to start a new uh, series tonight, and uh, this series will go through probably through the month of May, so it'll be just about eight weeks, and then by then the interns will be coming in, revival starts, things begin to change for the summer. Uh, we plan on utilizing the interns in this uh, opportunity because uh, one of the things that we don't give them a chance to do, which is actually more in our 21st century world, perhaps more uh, prevalent, they need to be prepared for, and that is the idea of preaching the same message twice in the same day. You know, it's, it is a little different concept. We do it, did it on Sundays, praise the Lord, we're not doing it on Sundays now, but we've uh, done it on Wednesdays, and that's going to keep going. And so uh, that's just a good, a good uh, lesson for them. Last year, I think we tried it for the first time, and one of them 
preach two totally different messages. They couldn't get the concept that, you know, the same message, you know, different, if you let me call you an audience, different congregation we're preaching to, right? So the same, but do the same message because we want it. And it ended up, they just, well, once it's done, it's done, right? I'm not going to go back and you can't correct it. But uh, anyway, so we're going to talk about building, building godly character and values. And we'll talk to some of this in just a moment, but here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, we have the fruits of the Spirit. We're not necessarily going through the fruits of the Spirit, but I'm going to use this because it gives us that understanding. So we have character and values. Uh, we're going to distinguish between those. You can think about that because I'm going to ask you to help me come up with the distinction between those two. Uh, but fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. I should say fruits of the Spirit is because it's one fruit. Uh, one spirit, uh, several different aspects of it. So, uh, so anyway, that's what we're going to be looking at as we kind of jump into this. So I'll encourage you to uh, hang on. Let's get there. As we, there we go. So reputation and character are different. So we're we're going to distinguish between reputation and character, but character and values are what I want you to focus on to give me that distinction. Reputation is what people think we are. Right? All of us, we know we we carry our reputation with us to church. And within this building, people think something about you. That's what people think that we are. Uh, it's all of us are capable. I hope we don't do this that much. All of us are capable of putting on our Sunday, you know, our Sunday best, so to speak, and coming to church. And all the church people think, oh, they're this, they're this, they're this. I mean, how many times have you known someone and you thought, oh, they're this wonderful person, and then something happens and you find out they're not exactly what you thought they were. The reputation is what people think we are. Character is what God knows we are, right? Uh, we, can, we can hide our reputation or we can, we can impact our reputation and change it, but our character is what God knows we are. That's what's on the inside. And ultimately, what's on the inside comes out. Can you think of a Bible verse that proves that? As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Ultimately, the way you're thinking is going to come out. There's another one. Anybody else? Man looks on the outward appearance. God ponders the heart. Now, you guys are coming up with verses I wasn't thinking of. The first one that comes to my mind is, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? So what's in there is ultimately going to come out. Our, our character is going to eventually start showing up. We can only, we can only hide our, repu you know, our character for a short amount of time. We all know, you know, pastors who built great ministries. They can, wow, they're just they're just this great dynamic pastor until the you know the news hits, and all of a sudden we find out and and uh, you know things we don't we find out they weren't the pastor we thought that they were. We all know politicians, right? I mean, this guy's clicking. If he keeps going, then he's he's going to be God's answer to Washington. We've all known those, right? And then all of a sudden we wake up one morning and God's answer is on the front page of the newspaper in a not-so-glorifying uh, headline. And uh, because that was reputation versus character. Character eventually makes itself out there. Our goal is for character and reputation to become the same as we become more like Jesus Christ, right? That's our goal, that we would, that we would actually be what God knows we are, and that that would be a good representation of our Savior. But what's the difference between character and values? Tim, what do you think? I would characterize values as goals. Okay. Okay. 
Goals and results. That's you're going right along the same lines that I'm going to be defining things for you. Anybody else? Mike? I would say values is the IP and character of the product. Okay. I, that's, you guys are getting the same line that I'm going. Let me, see, let me show you what I've got. Values are just this. What we value, what we count as important, is what motivates us, right? That's, that's our goals. I want that house, I want that boat, I want that car, I want that, keep filling in the blank. And what we value, by the way, it could be, I want my kids to go to church every Sunday. I want my kids to read their Bibles and love Jesus. By the way, we want to add, make sure you get that love Jesus in there, right? Because if all our kids do is go to church and read their Bibles, we have made them Pharisees. And that's not what we're looking for. That's reputation. What we want is character, Right? We want it to be character-driven. So what, what do we value? What motivates us? Uh, character, then, is how we go about seeking our values. Right? This is my value. And let, let, me, let me give you an example. So one guy might really value diamonds. Right? Yeah, they're just valuable. I, I want to have some diamonds. So he saves up his money, and he goes out, and he purchases diamonds, a nice diamond ring for his wife to wear around. Another guy for, values diamonds. He thinks diamonds are super important. But his character causes him to break a window, go in, steal a diamond, and they both value diamonds, and they've both gone after the diamonds, but their character has caused them to approach their values totally different. We want good values, we want to value the right things, and we want good character, and so we're going to talk about building godly values and character as we uh, kind of go through this study. Really, because I you know, feel like I'm preaching to the choir here, you know, obviously all of us have reputation issues. All of us. All of us put on our church face. We just do. You know, you, you, if we were arguing with our wife in the car on the way here, which I don't ever do, <laughs> I never do. You know why? We don't drive the car here. <laughs> <laughs> we walk to church, you know. But if we were arguing with the wife on the way here, we walk into church, and we don't we don't bring that argument into church with us, right? Oh, it's good to see you, brother. And we're just, you know, it's what we are. We we, we all of us do that, right? It, we just it's there, you know. We want to do that less. We want to be that transparent Christian. That's what we want to be. We want to walk as children in the light. We want to walk in the day. Uh, you know, and so we are called upon by God to, to do that. But, you know, we also want to then build, well, so we've got that down. What we want to do is impact the next generation. Because you know what we don't have right now is a generation coming up that has character. And it, we're missing it. And you know why? Because their value system is a mess. They valued the wrong things. And then they're going after the wrong things, which in, in, actually helps incorporate the wrong kind of character. And so we want to build godly values and godly character. So for our purposes, we're really trying to just say, okay, how can I... I want to make sure that I understand what we're going after so that I can help my kids and my grandkids to, to actually value the right things and then to go about seeking those, those things in a godly fashion. And so we'll kind of walk ourselves through all this. So we're going to have... Three basic areas that we're going to look at here. One of them is personal values or character traits. And uh, we're going to have several of them here. Humility and meekness. Uh, we're going to actually do a study, and you'll see, because I'm, I'm just using meekness uh, as kind of to show you what we're going to do after this is the introduction tonight. But I'll, we'll hit meekness tonight. 
uh, at the end of this. So blessed are the meek, for they shall... I, I asked this question this morning, and I'm asking because I don't know that I fully understand this, uh, but it says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And I thought, what does it mean to inherit the earth? And what does everybody else get? I mean, if everybody else gets in heaven, I don't want... Why would I want to be meek? But yeah, obviously... It's an important thing, right? Blessed are the meek. It's the very, you know, you know, one of the things that Jesus is described as. He is meek and lowly of heart, uh, and he's setting the example for us. So obviously we want this, uh, but, you know, what does it mean to inherit the earth? I ask you to think about it. You can think about it. We don't have to come up with an answer tonight. Uh, but meekness is a big thing. Would you agree that we lack humility in our society? That that's one of the major things that we're lacking is humility. And we want to, we need to figure out how to be humble and meek and how to then instill that into our children and grandchildren. Courage. Uh, have I not commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage? Uh, we need to have courage. It takes courage to be a Daniel. Uh, it takes courage to be a David. It takes courage to be a Saul it, or Paul, uh, Saul who becomes Paul. It takes courage uh, to stand for the things of God. Those are all, it's, courage is a big deal. Um, we are so wimpy in our courage. You know, the, the people who have courage are the people who are seeking after wickedness. And they're browbeating God's people into accepting wickedness. You know, so it takes courage, by the way, to stand against a woke society. It takes courage to stand against political correctness. And I'm not suggesting we have to be rude, because there's, there's a, that's a fine line there to walk, but it does take a lot of courage. We want to build courage. We want to have it. Faithfulness. Moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. We need, to, we need to find faithfulness. Again, I'm preaching to choir. It's Wednesday, and here you are. You know, I've, there's hardly a service during the week that's harder to attend than Wednesday night. The middle of your week, you're tired, you've been working all week, working all day, not like you get to sleep in tomorrow, you know. So it, it's a, it, this is a difficult service to attend. I'm well aware, and uh, yet here you are. So you know, faithfulness is there for you, but we want to pass that on uh, to uh, to our next generation. Perseverance. What does it mean? To, what's perseverance? Don't make it hard. What's perseverance? Stick to itiveness, right? It's that you know, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the same. You know, to, to, the idea of watching is to, to be ready, to be prepared, to be, to be aware of what is going on and, and, and who's being impacted by the spiritual battles. And, and Ephesians chapter 6, we're putting on the whole armor of God that might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's what we're doing here. And so it takes perseverance. It takes stick to it this, this is not a one and done type of of battle that we're fighting, and so if we don't have some perseverance, we're not gonna we're not gonna make it for the cause of Christ. Um, how many of you know somebody that started out like a you know house on fire, so to speak, and now they didn't go to church? You know, they lack the perseverance to to endure. You know, as soon as things started getting inconvenient, I'm not even saying they got hard. We don't know what hard is in America, but things just got inconvenient then all of a sudden we lost our perseverance. Uh, resourcefulness. Now, go to the Anthos sluggard, God says, and consider her ways and be wise. Um, what, is, what is resourcefulness? What does it mean to be resourceful? Uh, 
think outside the box? What'd you say? Find new ways to do things? Mike? Make the best use of what you have. This is the idea. Being re- You know, we live in a generation where if I can't Google it, I don't know what to do. You know, like, wow. I, I mean, I, we're, we're at a loss because we've lost our ability to think outside that proverbial box. Our box is literally a box. It sits on our desk on the computer. And we can't live without that anymore. And that's our only go-to. That's our resource. Uh, we need to be resourceful people. We need to figure out how to make life work. Life is hard, right? It is. Marriage is hard. Um, working your job is hard. Getting along with people is difficult. We've got to be resourceful. Go to the ant's house, slugger. Consider her ways. Because what does the ant do? Well, she says, wow, it's going uh, you know, to be cold this winter, and so I better make sure I have a lot of stuff stored up. And ants are unique characters. Uh, if science is right, and science is never wrong, uh, then um, how much weight can an ant lift? Ten times, their, its own weight. Now, it's obviously it's a little ant. So you see this ant, you know, carrying a breadcrumb. It doesn't look that that incredible. But when you consider that the breadcrumb probably weighs two or three times as much as the ant, all of a sudden that's a big deal. How many of you could carry twice your weight, three times your weight? I mean, ten times your weight? I doubt there's anyone in this room who could even get it started, lift it off the ground. I mean, Riley might have trouble with that. Riley, was, he was doing that heavy, heavy lifting stuff. I'm not sure what kind of weight he was lifting. He's pretty skinny. He might be able to weigh, you know, double, maybe triple, maybe even quadruple his weight. But at that point, you're reaching a limit, right? But the ant, ten times. There's, there's a lot to the, to the ant. God says, let's consider the ant. Self-discipline. Would you also agree that we have a whole generation that's struggling with self-discipline? Well, folks, it starts with us, but we need to pass that on to our kids and our grandkids. We don't want a self-discipline that is plastic and phony, right? That doesn't work. We're, we're not interested in reputation only. We need to have genuinely self-disciplined people. I mean, here's the reality. You can't keep your kids from computers forever. You can't. If you think that you're going to, well, you know what, I'm just going to live like an Amish person and my kids are not going to have a phone, they're not going to have a computer, okay. Two things will happen. You'll have weird kids and they'll still find a computer. You can't keep them from it. What you have to do is teach them self-discipline. At some point, they're going to have to have self-discipline because there's going to be a point. They might be 18 and out of your house before that point happens, but they're going to have access to a computer. And at that point, if you haven't instilled self-discipline, they're in trouble. We've got to figure out how to make those installations. Uh, wisdom is the principal thing, the Bible says. So with all thy seeking, seek wisdom. And then work. <laughs> uh, we talked about this a little bit this morning. Um, it says here, and that you study to be quiet and to do your own business. Or, you know, we might say it this way, mind your own business. And to work with your own hands. Uh, we, would you agree we've, we're a generation that doesn't know how to work? I mean, how many times have you gone to a store, to a restaurant, to some, maybe a hospital or a doctor's office, and, and they're, they're saying to you, we're sorry this is taking so long, or we're sorry we can't get that to you now. It's going to be a week, it's going to be a month, it's going to be whatever. Why? Because we can't get anybody to work. We can't get anybody to work. 
three different times in the last, I don't know, nine months or so, I've gone up to Arby's. We quit going to Arby's. I've gone up to Arby's, and there's a sign on the door. Closed early, can't get workers. Okay, well, then I guess I'm no... I don't even try anymore. I don't know if Arby's still open or not. I have no idea. I haven't even tried to go to, go to Arby's anymore. We, we're a society that doesn't know how to work. I mean, the Bible says about work. What else? What's the strong word the Bible says about work? If you don't work, you don't eat. If, I, I was this morning kind of unloading. I'll unload on you a little bit, too. I have a pet peeve. It's coming up. Once summer gets here, it's going to start up again. Franklin Township is one of the wealthiest townships in Marion County. You know that, right? You know the proof of that? We have the highest tax burden in Marion County in Franklin Township. You know, that's just a reality. So if you live in Franklin Township, hoorah. You know, but you, know, you have some benefits of being in Franklin Township. Having said that, apparently, there are starving kids all over Franklin Township because our schools have to offer free breakfast and lunch all summer long because... All these kids that are going hungry. We're, we're in one of the wealthiest places in Marion County, and yet we have starving kids by the hundreds, by the hundreds all around us. And so the schools will provide free supper or breakfast and lunch to your kids. If, if all you have to do is get your kids there. I mean, this is how bad it is. Without apologizing, there are daycare centers that will take a bus to the school and feed the kids. Through the daycare center, right? They're getting paid. They're getting paid, and then they're going to feed your kids on somebody else's dime. I don't get it. I, I'm not. I don't. I don't blame the kids, you know. But I do say there's something about work that's missing here. And we're, if we're going to change the next generation, we've got to instill some good values and character traits in them. That's personal values. You know, what spiritual values. Uh, devotion. Simon, son of Jonas. Lovest thou me more than these? What keeps you from your Bible? What keeps you from church? Have you ever, have you ever seen, uh, this is one thing that's wonderfully humorous about Facebook. People who have missed church for the last umpteen Sundays because they haven't felt well are stupid enough to post on Facebook all the different places they've gone during the week. Right? Uh, you know, we hear, oh, look, we did this, we did this, we did this. Oh, I'm sorry, Pastor, we just can't make it in. And I would say, we have a value problem. It's a value problem. Is the Lord a value to us? Are we devoted to the things of Christ? That's That's... That's a, these, are, these are hard to fit into reputation, right? This is where it starts showing up really quickly, uh, what's important to us. What keeps us from the things of God? How about our faith? Uh, but faith, but was strong in the faith, giving glory to God. We need to be strong in our faith. And, and our faith has kind of two meanings. One is the exercising of our faith, right? We need to be strong in the way we exercise our faith. And then we need to value our faith. Our faith needs to be something that's important to us. Um, you know, we... I've got to be careful all the things that I say. All right. I, uh, we need to make sure that our kids understand the importance of our faith. 
so that we're not missing out on, we're not surrendering our faith, our devotion to Christ, for silly things. Right now, the God of America is money and sports. The God of our young kids, I mean, I've, I've never seen anything like it where parents are running themselves ragged to have their seven-year-old in every sport on the planet. And we're exhausting them and we're exhausting the family and we're missing out. But we're, And I'm not against sports. My kids played all of them. I, they did. I, I, I was, and if my kids were playing, I was there. I did not, I didn't miss out on my kids' gameplay. I just didn't. Uh, in fact, I was so into it that uh, J.D. was playing basketball. You might remember this. The Mike was the one that was uh, coaching him. And we're going to play basketball. And, and I got tired of taking these dorky pictures that wouldn't do anything. So I went out and plopped down $1,000 on a camera and a nice lens. And I'm, I am ready to go. I'm going to get some decent shots. And I'm not making this up. The very first pictures I ever took, it, was, it had one of those hold down and just keep taking the pictures, you know, it was great. I'm taking these great, glorious shots. And my first picture I'm taking is I'm watching and following J.D. across the court as he goes down to the ground, blew out his knee, had to have surgery, and didn't play basketball for the rest of the season. So I took great pictures of everybody else's kids, you know, because my kid wasn't playing. You know, I'm not suggesting that I was, that we all get into this. I'm not... I'm not against sports. I think that it teaches our kids a lot of things. It really does, and good for them. It's better for them to, to you know, be busy with their bodies than to just lay around. I'm not against sports. But I don't understand the concept of sports controlling my family. I don't understand that one. It's, it's a values issue. Are we, is our faith of a value to us? Um, how about holiness? Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Would you agree that we need to become holy people? Now listen, holiness is not wearing a tie. Right? It's not. This is, this is outward. And anybody can wear, un, unsaved people wear ties every day. Every day. Holiness is not wearing a dress. Unsaved people wear dresses every day. It, it's, it's not about our attire. That's not what defines holy. Holy starts on the inside, works on the, to the outward. But we need to be holy people. And I, I'm, I would not want to, to change our ministry around to being outwardly holy. Do you understand? We're not interested in becoming that. But that doesn't mean that we don't want to work on holiness. We want to be holy as he is holy. Because he is holy, saith the Lord. Joyfulness. This is one of my big things, right? That your joy, God, God wants to have this kind of joy, that your joy may be full, right? Joy unspeakable and full of glory. God wants to have fullness of joy. And uh, so we already read it. Fruits of Spirit are love, joy, peace, long-suffering. So where does joy come from? The fruits of the Spirit are love. So the Spirit of God is my source of joy, right? That's my source of joy. So as long as I have the Spirit of God, I have access to joy. The only thing keeping me from expressing joy, then, is what? Me. I'm the only thing keeping me from expressing joy. Drives me nuts, right? So I teach at a Christian school. You'd think that all these wonderful kids, they look good, by the way. They look holy. You know why they do? Because we make them look holy. Right? Tuck that shirt in, get that haircut, 
you know, make sure that dress long enough. They look holy, but they come in and they're like, you know, they whine and gripe and complain because this didn't go right and that They're lacking something. They're lacking one of two things. They're either lacking the joy that they can access or they're lacking the spirit that gives them joy. They either need to get saved or they need to access the, the, the fruit of the spirit in this thing called joy. Because, you know, we have the ability, no matter what life is throwing at us, to be joy, joyous and joyful people. So we need to uh, value that. Value obedience, right? If you love me, keep my commandments, learning how to be obedient. Uh, Pastor Pirate taught us what are the three uh, what are the three steps of obedience? Doing what you're told, when you're told, with the right attitude. Three three steps of obedience. Doing what you're told is not enough, right? If you say, "Son, take out the trash," and he kicks the trash can across the kitchen floor to the door and slams the door open and closed, and he's done what he's told. But there's an attitude problem, right? He's not been obedient. If we did that for Jesus, right, we're not being obedient to him. And so we do what we're told. We do it when we're told, right? Son, it's time to go to bed. And an hour later, we come back out. Why is the TV still on, son? Time to go to bed. Wait a minute. Do what you're told, when you're told, with the right attitude. So that's the same way with our, our concept of Christ. Are we, is this one of our character traits? Are we obedient? Um, prayerfulness. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Um, I've told you guys a thousand times, probably, but this is probably one of my biggest issues, personal, my biggest personal issue. A problem comes, and I'll try to figure out 15 ways to solve it. And when I get finally to the 15th way and it's still not working, I think to myself, maybe I should pray. It ought to be my first reaction. I'm your pastor, right? It ought to be my first reaction. I ought to know better than this, but it is in my character to just kind of just, you know, to just try to fix things. And we need to be prayerful people, right? Repentance. Godly sorrow works with repentance to salvation. So uh, we need to learn how to be repentant people. Would you agree that one of the things missing in politics today is repentance? I mean, it started probably in our generation. The most public aspect of this was when Bill Clinton was caught red-handed, admitted it, and basically said it wasn't wrong because it wasn't the technical definition of what it is. Right? No repentance. Zero. And he was re-elected, by the way. He was reelected, glorified, and uh, it's, it's the aspect. That's our attitude here toward toward you know sin is that we're non-repentant. We we shove it in people's faces and dare them to say something about it. You know, don't judge me. You know, as if somebody dares say something about it, it's their fault for bringing it up. And uh, so we, we need to be repentant people. Thankfulness. In everything, give thanks to this, the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So uh, these are some spiritual values that we want to talk about and how to get those into our lives. Then we have relational values, uh, relational values and character traits. Kindness. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. So learning how to be kind, um, it's a big deal. This is in our relationships, right? So uh, I'll give you another example because... School's on my brain because I, I 
do this every morning, and so uh, school's my brain. So this week, earlier, one of the teachers was going to get, stand up and make an announcement during opening assembly. And this teacher, no question, needed to change their attitude. What they were saying needed to be said. But by the time they got finished saying it, I wanted to hit the teacher. You know, so they, what they did not do is encourage the kids to obey. They just made the kids just want to slap somebody. Uh, and because what they did not do is season their words with grace. That's what the Bible says, right? Let no corrupt communication be out of mouth. But that was just good to be as edifying. They administer grace. We, we need to season our words. Learning how to be kind people. It's just, you know, we can say that. Sometimes you've got, to say, you've got to say tough things, but if we can learn how to say it in the right fashion. Love, right? First uh, Corinthians chapter 13 tells us how to not have phony love, uh, right? Phony love is like a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. It's not, it's not anything great. Then you get down to verse 4, and it tells us what true godly love looks like. Charity, suffered long, the kind, envied not, bought not itself, not puffed up, not behaved without someone unseemly, seeking not our own, not easy to provoke, thinking no evil. Rejoice not, and they rejoice in truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, charity never fails. Right? That's what godly love looks like. Then you get down to the end of the, the, end of the verse, the, the end of the chapter, in verse 13, I think it is, 13, 13, and it says, Now abide faith, hope, and charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity, love, right? We need to have uh, in our relationships love. What? We've, we've lost the art. Now when, I, now, when I say we, I'm talking about us, the Independent Fundamental Baptists. We've lost the art of hating sin and loving the sinner. What it seems that we do is hate the sinner. Because we're frustrated at how people are reacting and responding to the sinner. You know, and, and you hear me doing it, too. I mean, I stand up here and rant and rave about how that we've got this society where people can't figure out if they're guys or girls. You know, the reality is we hate the sin, but we need to love the sinner. We don't want to come across as if you know, we want to you know, season our, our speech with grace. Uh, unselfish. Again, would you agree that we're a selfish society? Let nothing be done to strive for being glory, but in the of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. We, we live in this selfish, self-centered, arrogant society. And uh, we need to make sure that we're not being that in our relationships, that we're unselfish. Uh, so whether it's, you know, giving up your seat or whether it's opening a door or whether it's, uh, you know, sharing the things that you've got, you fill in the blank. Compassion, uh, the Good Samaritan being that great example of compassion. I was telling this morning, back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, when I first got saved, I got saved in the 70s, um, what was happening in the church, when I say the church, I'm talking about the church kind of universal, was that there was this great swing in the church toward impacting society in a social way. So let's feed the poor, let's dig wells, let's clothe people, and, and, and the church got very excited about doing it. You can get people excited about doing that. Who doesn't, you know, that's, and so, but what the problem with that is, is that then the church kind of developed a social gospel. Like, the purpose we're here is to feed poor people. That's not why we're here, right? We're here for the gospel. What, what good does it do to feed somebody just to keep them alive longer to go to hell later? 
The gospel is the life changer, right? And so the church went to doing all the social things and forgot, you know, the gospel. But let me ask you something. Does God want us to feed the poor? Yes, he does. Does God want us to clothe people that need clothing? Yes, he does. You know, that, that is what we ought to be doing. It is, it is in the nature of God's people to run to the, to the tornado victims and make sure that they have fresh water and food and a place to sleep and a blanket to sleep under. That is a godly thing to do. It's not why we're on this planet, but it does reflect the character of our God. In fact, in the Old Testament, this might shock you, but in the Old Testament, and I don't know where it's at, I have to find it for you, but God basically says, I've given you the poor so you can learn how to take care of them. I mean, literally, God's like, I'm trying to teach you how to have compassion, how to be that good Samaritan. But the flip, you know, we don't want to lose the gospel. So what we did to correct it was what we always do is swing the pendulum completely the other direction. And we preach the gospel, preach the gospel, preach the gospel, and let people starve and let people go without food and let people drink dirty water. And we shouldn't have done that either. Right? There's this, because the gospel is all-encompassing for these things. And so we don't want to get on this pendulum constantly where we go from one extreme to another. We've watched the church in America do those extremes. It doesn't work. You know, we need to be what God wants us to be, to have compassion, to give, to be forgiving, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Um, we've watched some of the greatest examples of forgiveness happen out in our congregation. Um, a few years back, um, I, I'm... We had, and they always sat right up here. So it was my ex-sister-in-law and her family. Do you remember when Jenny was coming with her husband and, and they had uh, some kids? And, and uh, well, Jenny's mom, that was my niece, Jenny's mom started coming, Kim. And she got married, moved away. Otherwise, she'd still be coming. I mean, she was coming to church. And so here, you know, so here I've got... I've got family on, you know, this is an ex-sister-in-law. My brother's son is here. Joe and Heather were here. And, and what you saw was everybody just loving each other, you know. Uh, it was because that's what the Spirit of God allows us to accomplish. It's awkward. You get past the awkwardness in about 15 minutes if you let the Spirit of God work. You can get past the awkwardness. You guys know what we're talking about, right? So... Sitting right here, if I can bring it up, uh, since you're nodding at me, I'm going to go ahead. The Kravokas have the same situation. So, you know, Chuck's ex-wife comes with her kids on Sundays, and we greet her and love her and hug on her, and, and we, we, we don't, you know, we don't make it, that's because it's the Spirit of God that allows us to be forgiving. And I, I thought, sometimes I think, what was it like to go to the church in Corinth, you know, where it is a pagan community, and people you were worshiping the false idol with through fornication, because that's how they worshiped, are now saved and sitting down the aisle from you and your wife, the same person you were fornicating with three months ago. How do you make this work? How do you, how do, you do this? You can't without the Spirit of God, without God's economy at work. But forgiveness is powerful. We need to learn to be forgiving people, Right? Uh, I grew up with the, you know, you know my story, so my dad 
wow, what a great example of forgiveness. You know, my mom left my dad, married my dad's brother, and 15 years later, when my dad's brother died of cancer, my dad and mom remarried and came back into our family together, and dad was able to show us what forgiveness looked like. Because you know what my dad never, ever, ever did? You can't ignore 15 years. We had 15 years of history with mom and my father-in-law uncle. So when he died, it wasn't like we just quit talking about all the jazz. Right? We didn't do that. Dad sitting in the living room. Mom's sitting there by him. And we're talking about three Christmases ago at mom's house when with Uncle Jeff. My dad never, ever spoke a, a word against my mom. Not a single word. They got married again, and mom, my dad never threw that out. Never. It was amazing. I, I don't know how. Well, I do know how. It's called the Spirit of God, right? That's what God can do. Friendliness. A man who has friends must show himself friendly. I'm running out of time. I've got to hurry. And honesty. Wow, we could use that in politics right now. Uh, providing, for, for, uh, providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. We're to live open, honest, transparent lives. And that's what we ought to do. Okay, so we're going to go through meekness and we'll be done. Meekness is a unique word. It's the biblical meaning of the biblical meaning of meekness is the quality of being humble, gentle, and submissive to God. It is not weakness, but strength under control. It is a valuable and teachable spirit that trusts God and denies self. This is the concept of meekness uh, in our day and age, especially when we get to the word gentle. Often we we substitute gentle in the wrong way. Uh, we'll say, oh, they're a gentle soul. And what we're not saying is, we're not saying that they're meek. We're not using it the right way. What we're basically saying is, well, you know, they, they don't have the courage to stand up and fight. <laughs> you know, basically, you know, they're a gentle soul. You know, well, no, that's not what meekness is. Meekness is not weakness. Uh, so, as you look at the illustration, a horse is referred to as meeked. We nowadays say it tamed, right? We, we break a horse, we train a horse. When he surrenders his will to the trainer, while, it's his behavior, while his behavior has been reined in, beneath still lies strength, spirit, and the heart of a steed, right? Have you ever ridden a horse? you ever ridden a horse? I mean, you've ridden a horse that's... Anybody ever broken a horse? Anybody ever been involved in breaking a horse? Okay, so we've all ridden a horse for the most part, but we, we're getting on a horse that's already tamed, right? Um, breaking a horse is, the, is a different concept. Once that horse is broken, it still has all of its strength. It still has all of its spirit, but it has chosen to submit its strength and its spirit to the trainer. That's meekness. It is that concept of submitting our will to the will of someone else. Um, I was telling this morning, so I, I, when I was a teenager, I was a counselor at Hoosier Hills Baptist Camp, Clarence Doyle. Anybody know Clarence Doyle besides me? Three of us knew Clarence Doyle. What a great guy, great, and he was a character, right? He was just Clarence Doyle, that's all I can say. But um, so they had horses at the camp down there. The camp still exists, by the way. Chris Chavez runs the camp now. He's an evangelist and uh, does a great job. And so... But they had horses down there at the camp. One of the horses, Danny, was a uh, was a, a an ex circus horse. He had been they had been training him to be in a circus. 
I don't know if he ever made it to the circus, but somehow, either because he was older or whatever, he ends up at the camp. So he knows how to rear up. You can get him to rear up, and it was, it was really cool. The kids just thought that was really cool, right? But the kids weren't allowed to ride him because he was somewhat spirited, and so they always put a counter on him. I'm a 17-year-old kid. The only place I've ever ridden horses is at camp, you know? And so here I am. I'm on this horse, and that horse was a great horse to ride unless he decided to do something else because he had a mind of his own. And so I'll never forget, I'm leading the charge. Here I am, and all of a sudden that horse decides, I'm done, and we're going back to the barn. Well, between us and the barn are several hills, some woods, and a creek. And we take off. And I'm just hanging on for dear life. I'm just a 17-year-old kid. I don't know much about a horse. Ah! And we get to the creek, and I'm like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And that horse jumps over the creek. We land on the other side. Woo! We made it. I'm like, oh, I'm just... And when we finally get to the barn, Brother Dole has seen all this, and he points to me and he says, don't you get off that horse. I mean, I'm ready to get off that horse. Get me off this horse, right? And he grabs the rein of that horse, and he takes a whip, and he starts whipping that horse, and we're going in circles, and he's whipping that horse, and he's whipping that horse. And here's the point. He knew that that horse had control of me unless I was still on that horse when that horse was brought under control. That horse needed to be broken to me because I was still going to be having to ride that horse again. You understand? It wasn't like you get out of riding the horse just because the horse went wild on you one week. And so next week, when it comes horse time, one of us counselors, and I was the lead counselor, one of us counselors is going to have to ride the horse. So you know, I was like, just get me off this horse. But no, nope. that's the idea. Meekness is an attribute of human nature and behavior that has been defined as an amalgam a combination of righteousness, inner humility, and patience. I've got to hurry. Uh, so Billy Graham said it this way. The word gentleness here, or in the King James meekness, comes from the Greek word uh, mild, uh, mildness in dealing with others. Jesus said, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. We know it is blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, nowhere in the scripture does this word carry with it the idea of being spiritless and timid. In biblical times, gentleness or meekness meant far more than it does in modern-day English. It carried the idea of being tamed like a wild horse that has been brought under control until tamed by the Holy Spirit. Peter was a rough and ready character, right? He's a guy cutting off people's ears and everything else, and, and, uh, but he's tamed by the Holy Spirit. Then, then all of his energy was used for the glory of God. Moses was called the meekest of men. But remember what was prior to that? Moses got angry and killed somebody. And I love the way uh, Billy Sunday puts it here. But prior to God's special call to him, he was an unbroken, high-spirited man who needed 40 years in the desert before he was fully brought under God's control. That's kind of me, right? 40 years in the desert to be brought under God's control. Um, then he compares it to this. A river under control can generate power. By the way, a river out of control? Have you ever been around a flooded river? A river out of control is a dangerous thing, right? A fire under control can eat a home. A fire out of control? We're watching one in Richmond right now, right? Fire out of control uh, in Richmond. So um, meekness is power, strength, spirit, and wildness under control. And that's what meekness is. It's, it's not being weak. It's not losing our strength. It's submitting our strength to the control of another. And so uh, that's Billy Graham's meekness. I want to give you one more thing. I've got to let you have some prayer time. Just I always take too much time here. But... Um, as we were going through, we're, we're going through the Beatitudes in my Bible class right now, memorizing them. 
And so, you know, blessed are the meek and all these things. But it gets down to verse 10 is where we are. And it says, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Persecuted. And I, I was saying to the kids, you know what? I used, to, I used to think, well, you know what? My kids are probably, and definitely my grandkids are probably going to face persecution. I used to think it was on them. I no longer think that we're going to escape persecution. I just don't. I'm not trying to be bleak and dreary here. But this week, yesterday, on the news, they announced that um, a whistleblower from the FBI, did you guys hear this on the news yesterday? A whistleblower from the FBI had brought forth a memo, surrendered it to Congress, who's investigating all the stuff that, you know, why, why is the FBI doing the things Trump is doing, and the memo said, mapped out a plan for the FBI to put moles or spies in churches across America. In churches. You tell me, what's, what's the only reason they're going to have to put spies in churches? Persecution's just around the corner, unless God intervenes here, guys. Persecution is around the corner for us. It's no longer down the road like our grandkids are going to have to face some things. We better figure out what, what's valuable to us. Is our faith of value? We may be finding out real quick. Because if, if there's not a major regime change in Congress and they go ahead with those concepts, what's it going to look like in 10 years when people are in churches spying out for what? To find out what we're saying about gender issues, to find out what we're saying about Morality to find out what we're saying about the government, to find out what we're saying about whatever. What's the purpose? What's the point? If not, ultimately, some kind of persecution. I no longer am convinced that I'm going to... I used to think, I'll bypass it, but my kids might have to face it. I'm not sure of that anymore. So, a lot of things to pray about, right? And you only have a couple minutes to do so, so break up into groups and pray, if you would, please.